I was bullied. I wanted to end my life. I lost my job. I was scared. I had a miscarriage. I was so depressed. My husband had an affair. I felt so betrayed. I was abused as a child. I felt worthless. But then? But then? But then? But then? But then? Jesus. I welcome you this morning to uh, a talk series that we've been in for about a month now called Fearanoia. We're just talking about fear. And obviously, we had no way of knowing a month ago when we started all this how significant it would feel to stand in the church today and talk about fear. Last Sunday, our hearts were broken when we heard the news out of Texas, just pure evil. 26 lives that were taken, many of them children. Another 20 who were injured as they gathered to worship, just like we are today. You know, just in case you wonder, for years now, we have intentionally tried to take progressive steps toward making this place as safe as we possibly can. Um, there is a team of people that talks about things like the weather, you know, a, a natural disaster that can take place, but also the kind of thing that took place in Texas this week, and I'm telling you that for years now, we have, we have thought about, tried to walk through, we seek expertise from the outside to say, how do we best protect? On a week like this, there will be people whose eyes and ears and mind has been so immersed with the news of the tragedy this week absorbing every news story, isn't it true if you're not careful, it can overwhelm your heart? You just take it in and you take it in and you take it in and it, it, can, it can overwhelm your heart and the next thing you know, there's fear. It's, it's real fear. And I don't even think it's a stretch to believe that probably across our nation today, some chose not to gather in their churches. You know why? Fear. We've been talking about the fact that for a month now, fear wants to own you. It wants to own you. Today, I I'm gonna talk about something really, unfortunately it's unusual. I wanna talk to you about one particular instance in which the best thing that could ever happen to you is for a fear to own you. One particular instance where it's good if fear owns you. 
And the reason it's good is because there is one fear that is different from every other fear. There is one fear that is so foundational that if it is what owns you, it will actually diminish every other fear in your life. And listen to me, God wants you to have it. Here's what it is. It's the fear of God. The fear of God. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. I, it, it, I would be not telling all the truth if I said that I had really been looking forward to this fourth talk in the series. Because I get to tell you about the fear of God. I mean, there, there's, there's just, for, for a lot of people, they've never even heard a talk on the fear of God. But I want you to consider, doesn't it seem like there are times that the world in which we live fears everything but God? When in reality, we shouldn't fear anything but God. And I'm telling you that the difference is the fear of God. What we have seen in this series is that we fear the future, we fear rejection, we fear failure. We have all these fears that we wrestle with, but the fear of God is the only fear that God really wants to be operative in our life. And today, I'm gonna show you that from the Bible. Now, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Most of the verses we look at today, you probably will never find on a coffee mug. You're not. You're not gonna find these on a coffee mug in fact, I'm going to tell you, it was a challenge to find a song that we could sing today that actually has the phrase fear of God in it. Search it. It hardly ever is mentioned. It hardly ever is talked about. And it's certainly not the kind of thing that we go, man, I just wish we could sing that fear of God song again. It's just a struggle for us. But I want you to know there is a lot in the Bible. Maybe you grew up in a church of fire and brimstone. That's sometimes how it's described. You grew up in a church setting, man, when it, it was just fire and brimstone. And so what happens is sometimes that pendulum in your life will swing, but it will swing all the way to the other side where certainly there is this beautiful picture of grace. But if you're not careful, that beautiful picture of grace turns God into Santa God. It turns him into UPS God. He just delivers. He just delivers the blessing. And, and it really doesn't matter what, how you live. It really doesn't matter. He, he is the blessing, delivering God. Yay, Santa God. But I'm telling you, the Bible paints this beautiful balance between the fear of God and the love of God. And really, we can't talk about the love of God without talking about the wrath of God. I mean, can we really say that God loves perfectly if there is no hatred of God towards sin? Can we really say that? 
Can, can we really say it? Now, we don't talk about it much because we love reading books about blessing, right? There are books that have like 365 blessings, and you, you read a blessing a day. I want to challenge you that it might not be a bad process for some of us, along with the blessing a day, we might want to consider reading a verse about God's discipline per day. Otherwise, we're just kind of drinking Christianity light, to be honest. Often what we think is we see a God of the Old Testament as a God who was to be feared. And we see a God of the New Testament who is a God that operates in grace. He operates in mercy. I'm telling you, read your Bible. He flows in both grace and judgment just as much before Jesus shows up on the scene as as much as after. I'm going to remind you that the same God who wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah because of its sin in the Old Testament is the same God who wiped out Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament because of their sin. You might remember that story? You remember that story? It's in the New Testament, like after the resurrection. And, and, and the, the, the church is gathering, right? And you got this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they lie about their generosity. That's what it's over. They lie to the church, and they lie to the Holy Spirit, and God says, nah, that's enough. And their lives, like, are, they're taken. They bury them out back. Check out what this says. I'm gonna give you some New Testament verses first because some of y'all just don't believe that the fear of God's in the New Testament, all right? Check this out. Acts chapter five, verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That was Ananias and Sapphira. That's where they, that's where they landed. Now watch this. Acts chapter nine, verse 31. Look what Dr. Luke tells us. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. You ready? Living in the what? The fear of the Lord. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. Whoa. God's blessing the church. The church is growing. How did it happen? Well, it's because they were empowered. They were encouraged by the Spirit of God who lived within them, and they lived with the fear of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 Therefore, my dear friends, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You've got to read all of scripture in order to avoid one extreme or the other. Sometimes we only read portions that reveal God's love and mercy. And we just, we don't want to hear about the fear of the Lord. And then there are other times that we focus on, right, hell, fire, and brimstone passages, and we don't ever talk about the everlasting loving kindness of the Lord. If you do one 
you're going to develop this attitude of permissiveness that says you can do whatever you want to because you belittle God's holiness and his justice. If you do the other, you develop this psychosis of terror that forgets about God's grace and his compassion. The image I want to give you to help us to wrestle with this today is one of my favorite, and it's leaking a little bit. This is, this is, this is a cup for something very special, dear to my heart. Coffee. I love coffee. I do. I, I really like coffee. Um, and you can give me that, right? Because I've already told you that because of who I am, the role I play, there are some drinks that I choose not to participate in on a regular basis, you know what I'm saying? So give me my coffee and leave me alone, all right? That's what I'm saying. If I like coffee, then let me like coffee, all right? I, I like strong coffee, I, I really do. Um, when I go to the coffee shop and I say I want a coffee and I, I want bold, there is a question that you will be asked at the coffee shop. Anybody know what the question is? Do you want room? That's what they'll ask you. Do you want room? Go check it out, go order a coffee. And at the coffee shops, they will ask you, do you want room in that? Now, why are they asking you if you want room in that? They're asking you if, if, they, if you want them to leave a little bit of space in the coffee for something like cream. You may want to add that to your coffee. Now, I, I, can do, I can do both. I can do either, and I do at certain times. What I've discovered is the better the coffee, the less I tend to put something in it. The worse the coffee... It's like sometimes you just got to help it out a little bit, right? And you got to make it, make it a little bit better. And so the worse the coffee you put something in it, the better the coffee. I, I'm going to tell you, well, I, I should, this, if I put something in it, I, I want like half and half. You know what I'm saying? No skim milk. I'm pretty sure that's back there in Leviticus somewhere. God said, thou shalt not put skim milk in coffee. <laughs> if you're going to put something in it, put some half and half. Leave some room, put some half and half. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Your definition of the fear of God needs to have some room in it. What does it need room for? Trembling. Trembling. You need to leave a little room for trembling. The fear of God, we often define, and some of you grew up in Sunday school, Bible study, whatever it was that was called in your church, and you went there, and as a little kid, you read about the fear of God, and, you're, and your eyes got really big, and one of your teachers might have said something like this, oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't mean that, that we, we need to be afraid of God. That just simply means that we respect highly who God is and, and we reverence should be the word toward God. We are in awe of him. We stand, like we sang just a second ago, we stand in awe of him. The only problem is then we walk out of that Bible study, we walk out of that Sunday school, we go home and we turn on our television and we watch 
some chief carry a football across a goal line and we go, that was awesome! Awesome touchdown! We eat something really good for lunch, like that was an awesome meal. And before we know it, we, we use the same words in how we describe who God is as being awesome to, to something like a touchdown or a meal. And in the scope of all that, we so diminish the view of God that even when we hear he's our friend, we just make him like all our other friends and we can kind of joke about him like we do about everybody else. No, I want you to get a little bigger picture of the fear of God. The fear of God needs to have this as a part of your thinking. It is the all-encompassing awareness that everything we think and everything we say and everything we do is in front of a holy, just God who knows and judges everything. Does that encourage you? I'm going to say it again because it's kind of a lot. It is an all-encompassing awareness that everything we think and everything we say and everything we do is done in front of a holy, just God who knows and judges everything. How does God see sin? We know. Right? And it applies to us all because we all have sinned. We all fall short of his glory. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. We know that the soul that sins, it shall die, the scripture says. And the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and then face what? The judgment. Today, I'm not just talking about heaven and hell. I'm also talking to those of you who belong to him. Listen to me. God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. He hates sin. And a part of that is because of what it does to you. I grew up... Um, being a pretty good kid, I did. What I mean by that is like there was never just this season in my life where I just decided to like, you know what? I'm just going for it, forget it, forget it. This whole you know, church business and preacher's kid business and all that comes with all that and everybody looking at you and everybody, right? There was no season of my life that I just ran for the hills and just decided to go forget all this God stuff. There wasn't. Now, I, I, I am not, I'm not saying I didn't do, I did plenty wrong, did plenty I missed, pl plenty, plenty of stuff, but I, I, and he, but I think here's why. Look, most of the time, I, I did for the most part what my parents said do. I did. And I think a part of that was because I came to trust Jesus for the first time when I was really young. I was. They taught me from the time I was born who Jesus is, and here's, here's how, what he did for you. And I mean, I, I, I got that. Even as an early, a little kid, I, I remember telling Jesus the best I knew how that I wanted to trust him, and I knew what he wanted. I did. I had been taught it. So I knew what my parents expected, and I knew what Jesus expected. I knew that they loved me, 
and I knew that he loved me. Which meant I feared what happened to me if I didn't. Because my parents loved me and they said, this is what you do or don't do, there really was a part of that that I would fear not doing because I know they love me and they would discipline me. Anybody get that? There's not a kid on the planet that you're gonna convince. If their parents have no boundaries, you're not gonna convince them that their parents really love them. Parents who say there's no boundaries, parents who say you just do whatever you wanna do, those kids always end up in my office saying, my parents didn't care. They just let me do whatever I wanted. That ain't love. When your parents really love, they do what? They discipline you. Listen to me. When your God really loves, he ain't scared to discipline you. It's not because he's out to get you. He knows because the sin is what crushes you. He knows it's because the sin is what hurts you. Jeff, what you're saying is you behaved partly out of fear. Uh-huh. That is exactly right. Well, that's terrible. No, it's not. No, it's not. I knew that I was loved. I knew that my parents would give their lives for me. And I knew that Jesus had. There was not a question in my mind whether or not I was loved, but there was also not a question in my mind whether or not that love would lead to action if I didn't listen. This is the foundation. This is the foundation that we choose to live in. And when you choose to live within the fear of God, the other fear diminishes. Let me show you some of what I mean. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 1, we looked at this verse in the very first week, four weeks ago. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what the Bible says, several places. The fear of God brings us wisdom. The fear of God brings us wisdom. So many times I have conversations with our college students who will, um, who will talk about what they experience in a college classroom. And usually it's summed up this way. Professors are crazy smart. They are. I mean, they are so smart in terms of the information that they've got in order to, to dish out right, an, an expertise on a certain topic. But almost, almost always what, what I'm sitting there talking to them about is they will look at me and they will say they are so smart on the topic, but they have no sense. And what they mean is they have no wisdom. It means they're really smart at the information that they've got, but the things they promote in class and the things that they encourage, it, it, it's, it makes no sense. And what that really means is that there's no wisdom connected to it. It's like, well, some of you may be thinking, well, how do you know they're not right? God? Well, who made God God? God. And what I'm saying today is you will eventually find that out. It may not happen in a classroom, but I'm promising you one day it will happen in a courtroom. It will happen in a courtroom. 
The problem is sometimes, as students, they will struggle to speak up. And the reason they struggle to speak up is fear. And ain't none of us throwing rocks, because we, 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 some of us have been there, some of us can imagine. You got this guy who, or lady who's an expertise at what they do, and you challenge a thought. I mean, sometimes that doesn't end pretty at all. And there's a fear of what a class will turn on. There's a fear of a grade factor that's involved in all that. I, I'm saying it requires some wisdom to know how to cope with all of that. Where do you get wisdom? He says it begins with a fear of our God, that we fear God more than we fear man, that we believe that what he speaks is truth, what he speaks is life. We really can trust what he says, but you gotta anchor your heart there. You gotta choose. You gotta choose. I, I wanna mention something in terms of this coping. Um, next Sunday, I believe it is, is the second round of the, of the class that, that we're offering to students. It, it happens at the vault. Sunday afternoon, five o'clock, um, one, one of our own young ladies who has gone through incredible training to be able to, to have the skill to help our students navigate just the junk, the craziness, the thought processes, the pressure, the stuff that our students go through. And her, her, her role is to, to enable them to cope, to give them ways to manage that, to know how to, how to, how to deal with it. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying to you. I believe with all my heart, students need that before they step into a college classroom where it is so overwhelming at times. I believe it so much that we as Heart of Life are actually paying for this class to be provided on a Sunday every month so that our students can get to it. Listen to me, students, you gotta go get it though. You gotta go get it. There has to be some part of you that knows you gotta get a foundation in order to fight against the garbage that you are going to deal with for the rest of your life. You gotta go get it. And listen to me, if you as a student will not go get it, you are supposed to have parents who will make you go get it. So don't be mad at them, it's what God's put on them. He has said you, you, are, you are to parent, you are to love, and there are moments you gotta push your kid to take some steps that they may not be willing to take on their own because they can't see as far as you can see. I'm challenging next week, go after it. Five o'clock, it's like less than an hour. And to give you some skill to be able to deal with what you all have to deal with day in and day out. Wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord. When you fear him, you hear him. Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. I love that. He says those who fear God, right? Those, those, who, those who know that he's God and there's no other like him, he speaks to you. That is so beautiful. This has been one of those weeks where totally unsolicited. I have not asked this question, but more times than I could count this week, people have come to me and spoken about directions in their life. Directions, I'm talking about that little orange and white book that, that we've been going through together. It's 18 weeks. People have joined together. Some of them are doing it in life teams. Some of them are doing it in Bible study. Um, but people just saying, you know what? When this first started, it was pretty simple. 
I was a little afraid of what this was going to be. But more times than I could count this week, people saying, oh my goodness, the things that we are wrestling with and the things that God is saying. And I think so much a part of that is just every day you're in God's word more, more times than not, you, right? And look, if you're behind, just jump back in. Seriously. Nobody's going to arrest you here. Nobody's going to find you. Nobody's going to write you a ticket. Just jump back in. You're like, I'm, I'm like a week, two weeks behind. Just jump back in. This week, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. It really, it's not, yes, there's a process, but just jump back in it. Here's what I think we do. I've been guilty in my life of times of relying on what I know about God. I grew up in it my whole life. I have heard every Bible story, you know, more than once. I, I, it's like I rely on what I know about God. And sometimes I underestimate the power of just being with him again today. What I mean by that is there can be a story that you have heard 50 times, and it's true, there is value for you that you know what that story means and it helps you to navigate life, but what you're underestimating is that when you open your Bible today and you read that story again, there is something supernatural about the living, active word of God that he is speaking into your heart today. And you need that, his presence, just as much as you need information. I think that's some of the stuff that's going on. I think that's some of what's happening. When, 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 you, when you fear God, when you know who he is, he speaks to you. And then he shows you, verse, verse 12, Psalm 25, verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the way they should choose. I, I say, it's like he, he teaches you how to walk, right? You fear God. And then you hear God, and then you know how to walk. That's what he shows you. That's what he shows you. Isn't it funny how people walk different? You ever, you ever just like sit and watch people walk? I mean, it's funny. Um, some people walk like really slow, right? Some people are very swift. I mean, some people have that very upright walk, right? And then you got the people that... Right, you know they're the cool ones on right. They, I mean, they just they just swag. They just stroll along. My question is, you know how sometimes you see a kid, and it's like you can tell who his daddy is, right? Because he, he walks just like him. Does anybody think you walk like God? Does anybody think your walk looks like your heavenly dad? And that's what you want. That's what you want. That's what he wants. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. He will, he will help you walk in that the fear of God helps keep us from sin. It does. The fear of God helps keep us from sin. I told you, God hates sin. It, 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 it is a rejection of his greatness, but he also knows what it does to us. And so he, he doesn't remove the consequences of that sin. He disciplines those he loves. I'm about to get weird. I'm about to get weird. I have been married 
to my wife, Jen, for 29 years. Next year will be 30. 29 years. Here's the weird part. I feel like I'm confessing. I have never been with anyone else. I'm a freak. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that weird? This is weird. I've never been with anybody else. I'm gonna attribute a lot of that to God's grace. I'm gonna attribute a lot of that to, I'm gonna go back to some parents, I'm gonna go back to a Jesus that I met really early. I'm gonna go back to a lot of that. I go back to the fact that they both really love me. And they said, if you wanna live, this is how you walk it out. But I'm gonna give you the flip side of that, okay? Because there's another side of it. If I committed adultery, would God forgive me? Don't you hate that answer? Don't you hate that answer? If I, if I committed adultery, would God forgive me? Could, could, I, could there be forgiveness? Yes. Yes. And that's because there is, a, there is a piece of this, God's grace, his love, that is way bigger than you're even comfortable with in some moments. You don't, you don't even like it. It's so big. But here's the other side of it. I cannot imagine looking into my wife's eyes and saying, here's what I did. And I cannot imagine looking into the eyes of my kids and saying, this is what I did. And I cannot imagine standing before you and saying, this is what I did. I know God wants me to live a life of faithfulness. And I am also fearful of what God would do if I didn't. And you may think that's a terrible way to live, but I'm saying if you do, I'm not sure you fully grasp the love of God that I'm talking about today. My, my fear is not that God would leave me. He made that promise. He, he's not gonna leave me. I met him when I was young. He really did forgive me at that moment. Sin, past, present, future, forgiven, my eternity, sealed. He, he's never gonna leave me. He's not gonna leave me. But if you don't think he wouldn't discipline, then you do not yet know the full picture of the beauty of God's love. You don't know it yet. If you don't, it's time you left some room. You need to leave a little room for some trembling. That he's God and we're not. He runs the show and we don't. Speaking of the one who who runs the show, the one who owns it all, the one who is the giver of all that is good. Let me give you another one. We, we, this one, you'll love this. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. You ready? Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You ready? So that you may learn to... 
My translation translates it revere, which makes it sound way better. It's the same word, fear. It's the same word, fear. That you may fear the Lord your God always. Isn't it weird we fear everything else but God, but we shouldn't fear really anything but God? Isn't it true that some of us struggle with this kind of text because we fear not having enough? We fear not having more stuff. We fear letting go because then we won't have. We fear that more than we fear not having the activity of God in our life when we hear his voice and he calls us how to live and then we begin to live in generosity and we walk like he walks and then his blessing and his activity fills your life. Isn't it weird that we fear not having stuff more than we fear having This is not about the fact that if you're not generous, God will quit loving you. You missed it. No, he loves you. But it means because he does, he will not settle for you living selfishly. He won't. His love is that big. He's like, I'm I'm not gonna let you walk like that when you belong to me. And so in my love, this, this is what it's going to be. Here's the phrase I put with it. The fear of God will change our worship. It will. The fear of God will change our worship. Worship is everything we do, but it's also a part of when we gather. Long time ago, I was taught about this generosity thing. Way back again, re- really, really young. And, and for it to be a part of my life, I don't do that because I think I have to do it to get God to love me. I do it because God has said this is a part of what it means to love. And he won't let me live selfishly. He won't. There are consequences that come to that. Let me give you, let me give you one more. Okay. Everybody all right? Everybody all right? Okay. Keep dodging. Keep dodging. Everybody all right? One more. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. It's like, by the way, do you know that the fear of the Lord is in 2 Corinthians? Isn't that wild? It's everywhere. I'm telling you, it's everywhere in the New Testament. We just tend to not, we tend not to see it. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. The Apostle Paul says, the fear of God should drive me to share with others. If I know this is about how my God loves, if I know this, this is who he is, then, then it should call me to share. I want to challenge you. We're moving into a season, right? The, the, the holiday seasons just often present a different opportunity. A different opportunity where at times it seems like people's hearts are a little bit different. They're a little more open to, to hear what, what, what some of this is about. We talk about Thanksgiving. We talk about Christmas, what it's all about. I, I just want to simply I simply want to call you to this truth today. There are people in your life and in my life who are headed to an eternity apart from God in hell. They are. And some of them are one invitation away from heaven. I want to challenge you in this season that what you know about the love of God, which means his grace and his wrath, his mercy and his judgment, 
May it send you with urgency to share what you know. Several years ago, there was a song um, that I'm going to at least try to have you see a little bit, hopefully all of it today. We'll see if, it, if, it'll, if it'll play. Um, it is a song by the Imagine Dragons, okay? I'm sure you're familiar. Um, no, I'm not a fan of the Imagine Dragons. I'm not. I, I, like, I don't own anything that they have. I just remember the song, all right? I like coffee, and I remember the song. That, that's it, all right? No, don't throw anything. But honestly, I haven't been able to get the song out of my head since we've been doing this series. It's old, it's, it's several years old, but the video that I remember so captures the pain. The pain that I think is a constant in the world that is going on around us all the time. I want you to see it, and then I want to connect some dots for us. Take a look. When the days are cold and the cards all fold and the saints we see are all made of gold when your dreams all fail and the wounds we hail are the worst of all and the bloods run stale I wanna hide the truth I wanna shelter you
The reason I couldn't get that out of my head is because I think there is a majority of our world that has to deal with things like death and has to deal with things like a self-image, has to deal with abuse. And even thinking on this weekend about the fact we celebrate veterans, but what that means is the war and the things that men and women have seen that they can't escape. The lyrics, he feels the darkness. And he's singing to the one that he wishes he could shelter from all that. But he knows that even if he shelters her from all that, the source of it all is really inside. It's where the demons hide. And when I think about fear, I think about fear and noia. I think about the demons that people hide. I think about the hurt that they've experienced, the pain that we've been through. And, and maybe some folks, they just get to the place where the, the line in the song is, this is, this is my kingdom come. This is just the way it is. It, it's, just, it's just the way it's going to be. But tucked away at the end of that song, there is this little glimmer of hope. Because it ends with these lyrics as he is apparently looking into the eyes of the one that he's singing to and he says, your eyes, they shine so bright. I want to save their light. I can't escape this now unless you show me how. And for me, that just wants me, that just makes me want to shout. Sons and daughters, of the king that's your role that's your role to a world that is absorbed to a world that is overwhelmed to a world that has just been conditioned to is just is this just the way it is there is the pain of death and there is the pain of abuse and there is just the pain of, of my own, this self-image that I don't seem to live up to and, and look good enough and, 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 and all of that comes together it's supposed to be that they look into our eyes and they see a light that is different. That makes them say, will you please show me how? And we point them to a Jesus who in his holiness took all of our sin. And in the most beautiful display the world has ever known, he dies. He dies, and then he rises. And the good news is that when you turn to him in faith, not your works, not what you deserve, but in faith, his grace, there is forgiveness. And he makes his goodness alive in you. He brings you in. And he will never let you go. The most beautiful picture of a parent, a father, that the world has ever known. He will love you. People of God, I want to challenge you as we get to the end of this series. There is a day coming. There is a day coming where all will stand before him and all will know. 
we get to be a part of this journey of bringing some folks with us that when that day comes, they're ready. They're ready. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you're not ready. Some of you are looking for peace. Some of you are looking for joy. And the very source of what you're looking for is the one you've been pushing away. He is your God who loves you like crazy. He is Jesus who has given his life for you. As we celebrate in this moment, I want to encourage you to run to him. Run to him. If you would stand with me, if you would, we're going to do a song that, that points us toward that day. A day that we will stand before him, but a day that he has gone the distance to make it possible that you are ready. Are you ready? People of God, are we ready? You are loved. You are loved. Worthy is the